0: The scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner which, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you would be with us as you've promised, that you would send your spirit to work in our hearts, and that you would apply your word that it might bring freedom and joy and life to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are on our uh, fifth week in this series uh, on the Ten Commandments that we're calling the Ten Words, which is uh, how they're referred to in one place in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, I want to just do a brief summary. And if you've been with us, just a brief reminder is that the Ten Words are an expression of God's will for our lives. So, if you're looking for God's will, here's a great place to start because when you ask God, What's your will for me? He says, Look at what I have commanded. But we've also recognized that the 10 words actually don't begin with a command, they begin with a declaration I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. And I want to do a thought experiment again with you that we did the first week in this series. I want you to imagine that there's a community in which no one ever cheated on anyone's spouse. That there's a place that you could live in which no one ever had to lock their doors because no one took anything that wasn't theirs. In this community, no one ever lied about anyone else. In this community, there wasn't envy or jealousy. And in this community, everyone regularly rested. I would guess that you would want to move there today or yesterday because it would be a beautiful place to live. And what I just did is I described a world that is ordered by these commands. This morning, we come to the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment in many ways is simple. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, Several years ago, I think this was in 2012, Business Insider ran this piece on Bill Gates, and it was a collection of quotes of his over the years. And one of the quotes was this, just in terms of allocation of resources, time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Now, Bill Gates is right. And that's kind of the point. There's a lot more that you could be doing on Sunday morning. But if efficiency and productivity are the only values by which we measure our lives, we are in a world of trouble. In fact, Christian and non-Christian scholars and academics, sociologists, social scientists, have been observing this for decades. That life in the modern world is in many ways dehumanizing, because the value of life is reduced to productivity. And what we find is a damaging effect on human beings when society is structured only along these lines. And I would be willing to guess that uh, this morning many of you have this struggle with time, as I do, where you say, "I, I, I don't have enough time for the relationships that are significant to me. Or you feel like you're always living, maybe not in a panic, but on the edge of panic. Can't sit still, always in a hurry. Parents, you know this. Hurry up, hurry up to your children all the time. It's like they live in this atmosphere of hurry. Never able to relax. And most of us feel so far behind that we don't think we'll ever catch up. Last night, I looked at uh, my email and it said that I had 9,399 unopened emails. I don't know how that happens, and I don't know how I still have a job, if that's true. (laughs) But the truth is, we just, we have a complicated relationship with work and rest. On the one hand, there's the overworked, and you know that they're the overworked, because you know what they say when you talk about rest? They say, work is restful to me. (laughs) And if you lift the lid on their lives a little bit, there's usually not a lot of great relationships in their life. On the other hand, there are the underworked, and the underworked, as uh, these same academics and social scientists have recognized, it's tied to feelings of depression and meaninglessness in life. Our relationship with work and rest is it's pretty complicated, and it gets more complicated because many of us, we oscillate back and forth between the extremes. We'll go through a season where we work, 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 until we have a blowout and we collapse in exhaustion. And then you know what we do? We try self-care. And what we find out is self-care is a lot of work. And it doesn't work. In fact, I want to say this gently, but in its worst iterations, the cult of self-care is creating very unhealthy people. And I offered you as evidence, Instagram. Um, Sorry, that was cheap. Um... Enter into this mess the fourth commandment. There is no precedent and there is no parallel for this commandment in the ancient world. Never been able to discover where its origins are outside of Israel, what it echoes. That should pique your interest a little bit if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. But if we're honest, when we read a text like this, it feels outdated. It feels out of touch with modern life. This command was given to people who didn't have cars, or uh, kids' club sports, or technology, digital technology. What do you do with a command like this? And actually, when you read the history of Judaism and you read the history of the Christian church, you discover, well, it turns out it's not so easy to understand or do. In fact, it's been called the most debated and least observed of all the commandments. And there's so many questions that immediately flood into our mind. We say, can I eat out on a Sunday? What about homework? Is watching sports or participating in sports ruled out? How does this work for stay-at-home moms and dads? Right? Their work never changes, just continues on. And then, of course, our favorite one is, isn't this just a law for the privileged? Who can, who can actually take a day off? And I want to say up front that we are entering into a danger zone when we start to talk About Sabbath. This is high-risk territory. Because when you read the fullness of what the Bible has to say, what you find is that, for example, in the prophets, they thundered against Israel's keeping of the Sabbath, because it wasn't in keeping with what God attended. In the ministry of Jesus, He was constantly having to tear away the tarnish of tradition, That it attached itself like barnacles to the Sabbath command. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 14, Colossians 2, and other places, he has to calm people down who are obsessed with the Sabbath and talk about what the Sabbath ultimately points to. This is is dangerous territory, much like talking about marriage or talking about parenting. Because there's a lot of ways to get lost in the minutia and want to list And you discover it does more damage than good. There's been a whole lot of fuss around the topic of the Sabbath. And just to oversimplify, you have group A that says this is part of God's moral will. God blessed the seventh day and called it holy. We just take this command and we apply it today. But on the other hand, group B says, no, 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 no. This was a specific command given to Israel To make them distinct. And this law, like all the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, have been fulfilled in Jesus. And these two views can feel like they are worlds apart. But I don't think they're as far apart as they seem. If you came here this morning wanting specific do's and don'ts and a list, you're going to be disappointed. And I want to assure you, I intend that. Because I think there's something better ...that we need to wrestle with. We need to understand what the Sabbath is for. You'll never figure out how to practice it... ...unless you know what its purpose is. So I want to give you three words this morning... ...to work our way through this text. And those three words are command... ...gift... ...and sign. And so let's begin with the first. The Sabbath was a command... ...not a suggestion... And it was a pretty important one at that. Did you know the Sabbath is mentioned 172 times in the Bible? And here it makes the top 10 list as God is summarizing the core of his covenant for his people. And we're told over and over again that God actually takes it pretty seriously. A little bit later in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. God says to Moses, I want you to tell my people, above all, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Above all, that sounds pretty important, doesn't it? And notice as well that God says Sabbaths are a sign of the special covenant relationship between God and His people. We'll come back to that in a minute. But you know, this isn't the first time that Israel heard about Sabbath. In fact, if you just go back a few chapters in the book of Exodus to Exodus 16, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness after being rescued from slavery, they begin to grumble that life was better in Egypt. This is maybe the earliest incident it's that, that we can find a recorded history of being hangry. The Israelites were hangry, starving in the wilderness, and they cry out, Why don't you just... Send us back, where you can be near the meat pots. But God provided bread from heaven, manna, which means, what is it? And he provided enough for each day. If they tried to stockpile it, when they woke up the next morning, the bread would rot. It would have worms in it. But the very next day, they would also get fresh bread. But then on the sixth day, God tells them, tomorrow, that's the seventh day, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And then he adds, six days you shall gather it, the manna, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And what they had gathered on day six would be enough and would not rot for day seven. What in the world is going on here? God sends manna every day except for one. Why? Here's why. God was training his people to trust in his provision." This is part of what Sabbath is all about, trusting in God's provision. And it's like a remedial course every seven days so that we can learn God is the one who provides for us. I was talking this week with somebody about the Sabbath, and she said she really began to understand what the Sabbath was getting at when she realized her heart was asking this question when it came to this command. If I stop... Who will take care of me? And who will take care of the things that I care about? And the Sabbath says, Yahweh will. Practicing Sabbath is a declaration of trust in Yahweh's provision. God, I'm really struggling to stop, to put it down, because I'm afraid. But I'm going to trust you. You are the God who provides for your people. St. Augustine said, Lord Jesus, let me distrust myself and put my trust in you. Sabbath is about trusting God's provision. But there's another layer to this as well. And it involves how we understand time. We're all living according to certain rhythms, right? The rhythms of the academy, of the school calendar, of holidays, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to time in relationship to us personally, we talk about it like it's our possession. And that's why we say, I don't have enough time, or I just need more time. And in fact, our favorite metaphor for time is talking about it like it's currency. We spend time, we save time, we earn time, we even say time is money. The practice of Sabbath is a ritual that trains our hearts to recognize something important. We are not the Lord of time. Yahweh is. You know, our digital calendaring is a ritual we already are practicing. And it gives us little empty boxes. It used to be, you know, they were in the the books and you could kind of see the pages. And I know some of y'all are still old school, right? But most of us... We're on our iCal or whatever other feature you use. And you have these boxes and they're empty. And I get to determine what goes in there. And unconsciously, I am convincing myself that I control my days. The time is my possession. Sabbath is humbling. Because you realize as you begin to set apart one day you begin to understand that all days belong to God. This command functions as a reminder to our hearts that Yahweh is the God who provides and Yahweh is the God who is the Lord of time. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. But it isn't a burden. It's a gift. And that's the second thing I want to talk about this morning. The Sabbath is a gift, And I mentioned a little bit earlier, but it was a novel one in the ancient world. Before this command caught on and influenced the cultures and communities surrounding Israel, the breakdown of work and rest was was actually pretty simple. And as soon as I say it, you'll recognize it. If you were on the top of society, you worked as little as possible. But if you were on the bottom of society, you worked all the stinking time. And the Sabbath command upends everything and says, everybody stop. That's what Sabbath means. The Hebrew word Shabbat is to cease, to stop, to quit working. Everybody stop one day in seven. And you notice the full command is this. Six days you shall work. Work is good. It's meaningful and dignifying. But one day you shall rest. All of you. And it included everyone in Israel. Sons, daughters, manservants, maidservants. Even the livestock are thrown in here. It's so comprehensive. And I think this is important because it's getting this thing. You can't say, I'm not going to work, but I'm going to put my minions to work on my behalf. That is to reinforce the dynamic of the top gets to rest, the bottom works, works, and works. Sabbath comes in as a gift to a community and says, everybody, stop. Now I want you to notice something here. In the Sabbath, you honored God by keeping a law that benefited your poorest neighbor. Loving God and caring for other people are, are actually deeply intertwined. And in this sense, the Sabbath command is like this hinge command and then Ten Commandments. It's a lot of focus on worship of God in the first three. And then as we move towards bearing witness to the world in command three, we get to the Sabbath command, which begins to pivot, and we begin to see the concern on how we relate to one another. And this is a fundamental principle of biblical ethics, is that you go a long way towards fulfilling your duty to God when you display, and this is a quote from Christopher Wright, responsible, sensitive, and sacrificial care for your fellow human being. You're not worshiping God well if you neglect justice and compassion for others. And in fact, this was so important in the life of Israel that the Sabbath was one of several sevens that structured their life. So get this, every seventh day, a Sabbath to the Lord. Every seventh year, there was a Sabbath year. Where servants were liberated, where debts were canceled, and the land was to rest. And then after seven seventh years, that's 49, by the way, the 50th year was a super Sabbath, a mega Sabbath. It was called the year of Jubilee, where all was forgiven and everything was restored. And people who had been displaced got to come home. You can read about all this in Leviticus 25. And by the way, we could add there's seven festivals or feast days in Israel's common life. That's Leviticus 23, all circling this theme of rest that is the gift of God to His people. And let me say this as straightforward as I can. The Sabbath is an expression of God's generous heart, like all of His laws. And I think we can really understand this when we explore the reasons that are given for this gift in this text and in another text. What, one of them is here in Exodus 20. The other is in Deuteronomy 5 when this command is repeated. But it's given a little different twist. You see the first reason is grounded in creation. Do you notice verse 11? For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it Holy. God rested. And you say, why is this in the Bible? Why was God resting? Was He exhausted? Was He worn out, you know, by constructing the Atlantic Ocean? You know, is is this what this is about? No. God is modeling for His creation the kind of life that He wants them to live. There's an old Puritan, Thomas Watson, who said, He who needed no rest... Rested in order to woo humanity into its much-needed rest. God established a rhythm to life right from the start. A rhythm of working and resting. It's like God is saying, I made you, I know how you're supposed to work, and you're not supposed to work all the time. Many of us are living out of step with the rhythm of creation. And yes, I know some of us are over Sabbath, but I would say most of us are under Sabbath. And the thing is, you can Sabbath voluntarily or you can Sabbath involuntarily when you work yourself to death and you have a blowout and you end up laid out. There are so many reasons that we feel like we can't do this. We can't stop. And most of them are pretty terrible. But one of the most common ones is our arrogance. We say, if I let up, things are gonna fall apart. As one person put it, if you think you can't rest one day in seven, you are taking yourself far too seriously. What was God's rest in Genesis 1 and 2? It wasn't the rest of exhaustion, it was the rest of enjoyment. God saw all that he had made and he said that it was very good. And on the seventh day, God enjoyed it. And I think this is a clue to the spirit of the Sabbath. Enjoyment. We press pause in order to enjoy what God has made. And that is a gift to us. But here's the second reason that we're given for this gift. It's grounded in, not creation... But redemption, when Moses repeats this command to the Israelites on the brink of the promised land in Deuteronomy 5, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, in many ways, this is kind of simple to break down. Slaves don't get to rest. But Yahweh has liberated His people from slavery, and He commands rest for all His people. You know what that means? Sabbath keeping is a declaration of freedom. It is saying, I am no longer a slave. I am free because Yahweh has set me free. And it becomes a weekly reminder of that freedom. You know, anyone who overworks is acting like a slave, And maybe he is a slave to exploitive employers, or parental or societal expectations, or just this inner hunger of a need for success. When you can't put it down, something else has you by the heart. But when you put it down, you are living according to the rhythms of salvation. You know, it's interesting that in Deuteronomy, the word for rest is different than the one in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, it's Shabbat, stop. But in Deuteronomy 5, it's nuach, which means like refreshed. You stop in order to nuach. You shabbat in order to nuach. And when you nuach, it's because you've shabbated. (laughs) You stop in order to be refreshed. And this is really important for us because you're doing this unto the Lord. Sabbath isn't simply a physical or emotional pit stop Right, Fill up on gas so you can go, 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 go again. And that's how everybody's talking about it right now. Right, You'll be more productive if you do that. And I don't doubt that that's true. But the Sabbath is about a spiritual encounter with the Lord himself. Yes, that refuels you. But it also reorients you in all of your life. Because you're encountering the Lord who rescued you. Friends, this second reason tells us that we press pause in order to enjoy what God has done. So the first reason is we press pause to enjoy what God has made, and the second reason is we press pause to enjoy what God has done. You know, the Sabbath is bundled together with all these other feast days in Leviticus 23, and you know what you did on the feast days? You feasted, right? You gathered in holy convocation, it says, to remember and enjoy what God has done. You know, it's a gift to be told to stop. It's a gift to stop and enjoy what God has made and enjoy what God has done. And in this sense, Sabbath is not the same as self-care. It is care, yes. But it is care in the sense that it takes your eyes off of you. And in doing so, renews you, replenishes you, grounds you, and nurtures you. Because the Sabbath is about more than physical rest for our bodies. It is about inner rest for our souls. Rest from the anxiety and the stress and the strain of trying to run the universe. And rest from the anxiety and the stress and the strain of trying to justify ourselves. But you know what our heart's first instinct is to to say to this? I just don't have time. But that's the point of a command. God has given you the time. Will you receive it? Barbara Brown Taylor said, the Sabbath is a gift we are so reluctant to receive that it had to be commanded. It's a command, but it's a gift. And it's actually commanded because it's a gift we're reluctant to receive. The Sabbath is this gift that helps us live according to the rhythms of creation, how we were made. And it is a gift that helps us live according to the rhythms of redemption, what God has done for us. There's more to this story. I mentioned Exodus 31 near the beginning of this sermon, where God tells Moses to tell the people that the Sabbath will be a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It's a sign that I am the one who makes you holy. Now, that's the last thing I want to talk about. The Sabbath is a sign. And it is a sign that points beyond itself to an eternal rest that God offers His people. Which is another way of saying an eternal joy. You see, the Sabbath day was every seventh day. The Sabbath year was every seventh year. And after seven Sabbath years, there was the year of Jubilee, the super Sabbath. And all of them were oriented around this theme of rest. And all of them got caught up in the biblical story pointing to an eternal rest that God is preparing for His people. Israel failed again and again to embrace this rest that was on offer. You read about that in Psalm 95. But the prophets still thundered this promise over and over again. And in the darkness and chaos of Israel's flawed and and, and messed up life, Jesus shows up and he walks into a synagogue in Nazareth. This is in Luke chapter four. And he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee has arrived. And it has arrived in a person fulfilled in your hearing. And then he tells his disciples, and we read this a little earlier in our liturgy come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then right after that in the Gospel of Matthew, he's in a debate with the Pharisees. They're saying, you're not keeping Sabbath the way you're supposed to keep it. And he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And then get this, Jesus, in the night of his crucifixion, was dying on the eve of the Sabbath. And this death is called an atoning sacrifice. Do you know why that's important? Because on the Day of Atonement, which is one of the feasts of Israel, we get in Leviticus 16 and 23 a description of this being a solemn rest for the people of God. And this is how it worked. As the priests made the sacrifice, the people were to stop working. And God will cleanse you. As Jesus is dying on the eve of the Sabbath, he cries out, It is finished. What's finished? The work of securing our eternal rest. Jesus fulfills all the Sabbath statutes, which is to say that the only work that we can stare at that will actually bring rest to our souls is the finished work of Christ. After Jesus, Sabbath gets a new look transforms the festivals transforms the day the early church begins to talk differently about all this which is why paul in colossians 2 describes sabbaths all the sabbaths all the sevens right it's a shadow that pointed to the reality of christ and the early church began to worship differently they began to gather on the first day of the week not the seventh for worship because that's the day jesus rose And they understood something new has begun. New creation has invaded the old. What were they doing? They were working out the implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in their life. They were living according to the rhythms of salvation. They were following the signs to the thing signified. And all of it was added up to this. Our ultimate rest is found in Jesus, not in the day. Jesus gives you a rest that no one else will, and you will actually never get that ultimate rest apart from Jesus, no matter how many days you take off. Eternal rest only comes through Christ. We can't get it through our work, and we can't get it through self-care. So now let's go back to the question at the beginning. Should we still keep Sabbath? Some would say, yeah, it's still God's moral law. And others say, no, Christ has fulfilled it. But maybe we should come at this differently. Maybe we should ask ourselves, am I living according to the rhythms of creation? And am I living according to the rhythms of salvation? You know, Sabbath is still a sign. Because the fullness of eternal rest awaits us. But we get to taste it now by faith. There's two chapters on this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. Go home and read it this afternoon. But this is the cash out. In the world, you work to earn your rest. That's how it works. Everybody's working for the weekend, as Loverboy sang. Dated myself a little bit. In the world, you work to earn your rest, but in the kingdom of Christ, you begin with rest. First day of the week. Sabbath is one of the most revolutionary acts that you can do in a culture that tells you that your achievement equals your significance. But when you get too caught up in applying this and you get lost in the minutiae of the do's and the don'ts, you begin to strangle the life out of the Sabbath. Sabbath. And that's happened again and again and again. I was talking with a friend yesterday about Sabbath because I need help with this. And uh, he asked this question, how does it feel to observe the Sabbath? And I said, what's your answer to that question? And he said, it feels like being so safe in Jesus' love that I can worship and party and play with friends today and not be haunted in the back of my mind by the project due on Thursday." You know what that is? That's rest. That's a soul that is refreshed. That is a soul that has followed the sign to the thing signified. That is a heart that has found peace. You know, uh, everybody's into sleep uh, these days, (laughs) how to sleep better, how to sleep longer. And uh, you download apps, you read studies, you do all these practices and put the things over your eyes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the one thing that seems to be consistent across all the different methodologies is this. It is not just the length of your sleep. It is the depth. That you can actually sleep 10 hours and it just be trash. Because your body never got that deep rest that it needed. And friends, it is the same is true with our souls. And that is why vacations aren't solving it. And self-care isn't working. And pampering isn't helping. And taking more days off isn't fixing all this. Because there is a God that we were made to worship. And connect with. And who offers rest. And he says, I want you to find it in my son. Who lived and died for you to make you whole. Sabbath is a gift. But like all gifts it needs to be received. And it is a sign. A sign that tells us we are on the receiving not the achieving end of salvation. It's a sign that points us to the one who gives true rest. Our hope is in the God of the restless. Who welcomes the weary and the burdened. And the heavy laden and the exhausted and the burned out. And apart from him. There is eternal unrest. But with him. There is rest forever and ever and ever. Self care is the acknowledgement of the need for rest. And let's just say. Eh. Pretty good in a culture of workaholics, but rest is not enough to heal what is truly broken, at least not that kind of rest. What we need is grace, and grace only comes from the one who sacrificed himself to secure our eternal rest. How will you live in that rhythm? The rhythm of creation, how you were made, and the rhythm of redemption. Who rescued you and brings you rest? You have the time, and so do I, because it's been given to us. But the question is, will we receive it? Let's pray together. God, we thank You that You're the God of rest, because we have weary hearts, and we have battered souls, and Father, we don't even know how to rest well. We thank You, Jesus, that You have secured eternal rest for Your people. And you did it through the sacrifice of yourself. Lord Jesus, would you help this to wash over us and renew us and reshape us and reorient us? And would you help us to have wisdom to know what it means and looks like to press pause that we might enjoy what God has made and what God has done in the gospel. God, we need this individually. We need this as a community. And so we ask for your help that we might be a renewed people living with joy and with hope in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.